Murder in the North, Episode 22, Making a Killing. On September 27, 1965, Palamones Fogde Sorensen becomes one of the most notorious men in the whole of Denmark. He goes down in the history books as the police killer. But who is Palla? And what makes him pull the trigger that night and kill four police officers in cold blood? You're listening to Murder in the North, a podcast about some of the most shocking criminal cases in Scandinavia. Our account of these cases is based on sources in the public domain, including interviews, press releases and court proceedings. Some narrative details were seen as irrelevant to the plot and therefore left out. This podcast series contains scenes of violence that some listeners may find distressing. You're listening to a true story, as researched by Yana Argard and told by me, Jenna Sharp. Palla is born in 1927 in Amager, a small island to the east of the Danish capital Copenhagen. At number six Italiansvej, to be precise, in a working-class neighborhood with red-brick houses. A few years earlier, parents Elsa and Victor had their first child, daughter Inga. Victor works for the police, and Elsa is a cleaner at the local primary school. Victor is actually a weaver by trade, but a few years before Paller is born, he lands a job as a night watchman with the Copenhagen police force. One of the perks of the job is that his two children get to attend the police's annual Christmas party. Inga and Palla look forward to it all year long. The family live in a cosy but small two-room apartment on the third floor. The living room is cramped and the toilet is in the bedroom. Victor's mother also lives with them. She and Inga sleep in the living room while little Palla sleeps with his parents in the bedroom. They all live in extremely close quarters, and while they're not rich, they certainly want for nothing. There are other families in the same house. Downstairs on the ground floor is where Jorgen lives. He and Palla become best friends, even though they're quite different. Palla can be direct, but he's also guarded. Jorgen, on the other hand, is very imaginative and a real dreamer. Jorgen's parents are alcoholics, while Palla's parents provide a stable and loving home. In 1934, Palla starts school and loves it. He's both taller and stronger than his classmates, so he's never bullied. But between his first and second years in school, Palla contracts scarlet fever and falls dangerously ill. He spends several months in hospital, and by the time he returns to school, he's far behind. His teachers suspect that Palla is dyslexic, and he's forced to change schools multiple times. 
He doesn't really settle until he starts year four at Samazvai Primary School, which his sister Inga and best friend Jorgen also attend. Palla likes to visit Jorgen even though his friend's parents are always drunk. Here he experiences a freedom that he doesn't have at home, where everybody has expectations of him and everything is very structured. The many school changes fail to discourage Palla, and it turns out that he has a knack for engineering and maths. But when he's 14, as was common for many children at the time, Palla leaves school. In the meantime, Palla's father, Victor, has lost his job as a night watchman. A serious accident in which a careless driver knocked him off his bike has left him with brain damage. It means that at the age of 35, he's declared unfit for work. Nonetheless, he manages to secure a position as a ticket inspector at Copenhagen's circus building, a job he's still able to do. Big sister Inga is an obedient girl, whereas Palla is wilder and a frequent source of worry for his father. Palla is given the occasional spanking, which wasn't unusual in those days. Pala has a better relationship with his mother. She simply adores the boy. After leaving school, he sits at home for a while until he finally lands a job. Towards the end of the Second World War, Pala is offered an apprenticeship in precision engineering. But as soon as the war is over, and his foreman is accused of collaborating with the Germans, Paller is sacked, and he finds himself without work again. His next job is that of a clockwinder. Copenhagen has lots of turret clocks that require winding once a week by someone who's not afraid of heights. And so Paller comes to see the world from the vantage point of Copenhagen's tall church towers. Soon afterwards... Pala is arrested for the first, but certainly not the last, time. Pala first started carrying out burglaries with some of his friends during the final few months of Denmark's occupation. Not because they needed anything, just for the thrill of it. Pala, who was 18 at the time, was the leader of the gang because of his planning skills, but above all because he had the right tools for opening locks. On the 3rd of December 1947, Paola is arrested while trying to sell petrol coupons on the black market. These are hugely popular due to the post-war rationing that's still in place. Paola isn't just charged with illegal selling, he also has an old 7.65 caliber pistol on him during his arrest. Paola is taken into custody. On this occasion, his first He's held on remand in Copenhagen's largest prison, Westerfangsel. It's here that Palla meets like-minded individuals who give him ideas for other crimes. For instance, one cellmate tells him about the Workers' Unemployment Fund, which is said to always keep a lot of cash on its premises. The public prosecutor commissions a psychological evaluation of Palla while he's on remand. In January 1948, the senior clinician, Dr. Helga Kems, 
concludes that Pala is of average intelligence and neither insane nor mentally ill. But he isn't completely normal either. He is said to have developed so-called harmful traits, including a disproportionate sense of adventure and fantasy. The doctor describes him as immature and puerile. Pala is sent to a young offender's institution, but before he has finished serving his sentence, he's called up for military service. He's declared unfit for duty. His fearful nature is thought to make him unsuited to the army. On the 15th of July, 1948, Pala, now 21 years old, leaves the Young Offenders Institution. A free man again, he returns to the family home. He embarks on another training program, but soon decides that working doesn't bring him much joy. There are quicker and easier ways of obtaining money. He can't stop thinking about the huge amount of cash at the Workers' Unemployment Fund, and he decides to give it a try. Less than six months later, Pala hits the jackpot. In the run-up to the burglary, he steals explosives from a stone quarry. Then, on a cold winter's night in January 1949, he places a tall ladder against the facade of the office building and climbs in through the window. He inserts a few grams of the explosives into the keyhole of the safe and lights the ignition. The safe is blasted open with a loud bang and the banknotes and coins fly into the air. The detonation is loud enough to wake the neighbours who alert the police. Pala gathers up the money as fast as he can and climbs back down the ladder. He transports the loot on the back of his bike, some 130,000 Danish kroner, or 15,000 pounds, a small fortune at the time. Judging by the method that was used, the police suspect that the burglary is the work of an international gang. The money allows Pala to live a life of luxury. He buys a car and a boat and also gives a bit of cash to his friend Jorgen. But after only a few years, the money is gone. Pala goes back to small-scale burglaries and is soon arrested again. The public prosecutor commissions another psychological evaluation. This time, Pala, who's now 24, is classified as a callous psychopath. The character and temperament of the person under evaluation can be described as self-satisfied and egocentric, narcissistic and cunning. He is verbose, self-aware and selfish. After a few years in prison, Pala is released in 1958 and history repeats itself. He's caught stealing again and he's arrested again. This time, he's not handed an ordinary custodial sentence. He is sentenced to a spell in a psychiatric institution in response to a report that describes him as follows. The person under evaluation is a psychopath with neurotic tendencies. 
What stands out are a lack of emotional maturity, a lack of empathy, and an excessive egocentrism. The person evaluated has served multiple sentences, multiple years in prison, without any mental development to show for it. On the contrary, his contempt for and rage against society appear to have increased with each period in detention. He spends his time as a free man as a parasite, part funding his lifestyle with proceeds from previous theft. A few years later, Haller is released yet again. His crimes aren't serious enough to keep him locked up. Only his mother still lives in the old family home now. His father died of a heart attack while Paolo was incarcerated. As ever, he's broke, and cracking open safes becomes his go-to way of making money. On a Friday evening in September 1965, 38-year-old Paolo gets behind the wheel of a white Simca and waits for his mate Norman. The two met in prison and they've planned a few burglaries to make a quick buck. Career criminal Pala is a gun enthusiast, which is why he has three loaded weapons with him today. There's a German Walther P38 in the glove compartment, an old Walther PP under the seat, and a Browning P35 in his shoulder holster. Their first target is a car dealership in Roskilde, where Pala forces a door and steals 425 kroner, or about 50 pounds. Then they drive back to Copenhagen. When Pala tries but fails to open the door of a furniture store, he sets his sights on another shop instead. Scouse Saberhus. This time, he has more success. Inside the store, the two men snatch handbags, nylon stockings and perfume off the shelves. Lastly, they also remove 340 kroner, or 40 pounds, from the till before leaving the premises again. Their final target is a kiosk on Sund by Vesta Square, where they make off with 391 kroner, or 45 pounds, and eight packs of playing cards. By now, it's three in the morning. On the way home, Norman becomes agitated in the car, which really gets on Pala's nerves. Not far from Norman's house, at the junction of Salzwerksvai and Amagerlandvai, Pala runs a red light and has to swerve to avoid colliding with another car. Shortly after, a patrol vehicle passes them. The police officers inside think the two men are driving recklessly and decide to turn around and give chase. In the 45 minutes that follow, Pala races through the streets and alleys of Amur, trying to shake off the patrol car. Meanwhile, the panic inside the white Simca mounts. If they get caught with all these stolen goods, Norman will end up behind bars for an indefinite amount of time, while Pala will have to go back into psychiatric care. Eventually, the police car overtakes the Simca, turns and blocks the road. Pala has to break hard to come to a stop. He hands Norman the pistol in the glove compartment, and then the two men get out of the car. Norman runs away as fast as he can without firing a single shot, while Pala shoots nine times at the officers. One of them, Gert Sondergaard Harkir, is hit multiple times in his back, thigh and side. 
he loses consciousness and falls to the ground. His colleague, Henrik Skow Hansen, is also hit in his side and collapses behind the patrol car. Paller runs over to him and fires another three shots. Then he walks over to the first officer and kills him with a bullet in the neck. Paller gets back in his car, steps on the gas and flees the crime scene with screeching tires. He doesn't get far. A police car with its lights on blocks his path. It's five minutes to four in the morning when Paller gets out of his car again and shoots at a police officer, Elmer Gert Jeppesen, who's standing in the middle of the road. He kills him with a single bullet through the heart. Then he fires two shots at the window of the closed car door and hits a second officer, Axel Dibdal Anderson. Moving around to the other side of the car, Paller shoots again at the already seriously injured Axel as he's trying to get away. The man is hit in the back and dies. That's when Paller realizes that he has fired all 15 bullets and that the magazine of his weapon is empty. Instead of driving straight home, Paller heads over to Norman's house to talk to him and to change his clothes. In the meantime, all available police units are mobilized to hunt down their colleagues' killers. Armed officers are stationed across the city. Eventually, Paller realizes that it's game over. On Saturday night, less than 24 hours after the killings, he drives to police headquarters to hand himself in. The whole of Denmark is in shock. In those days, it was perfectly normal for police officers in patrol cars to be unarmed, something that makes these four murders even more appalling and senseless. Following the quadruple murder, the Danish police introduce a number of new protocols to protect the lives of officers. Carrying a service weapon now becomes compulsory while certain procedures, such as arrests after a chase, are also changed. After three days of questioning, the authorities have enough information to bring charges. In March 1966, shortly before his 39th birthday, a Danish court sentences Paller to life in prison. He is hated across Denmark. The four officers he killed were all under 30, and had their whole lives ahead of them. Pala Sorensen becomes a household name. Young people use the phrase 4-0 to Pala to express their dislike of the police. Within the prison walls, Pala is at the mercy of hostile fellow prisoners. He spends the first 11 years of his sentence in solitary confinement, and the only person he sees, besides prison guards, is his mother, who loyally visits him for two hours every week. Later, the security measures are relaxed a little, and Paller is allowed to mingle with the other prisoners. It's 18 years before he's allowed to leave prison under escort for the first time. He's accompanied by two armed officers. After getting caught selling cannabis to fellow prisoners, Paller is transferred to the state prison in Nürburgr. He spends many years here, 
and submits repeated but unsuccessful parole applications. Each time an application is received, the court consults a doctor to ascertain whether Pala remains a threat to the public. Doctors conclude that he isn't mentally ill, but that he suffers from an antisocial personality disorder. In 1995, Pala is transferred to an open prison in Sonaoma, where he spends two years. Then, under the supervision of the probation service, he's invited to participate in a supported living project in Stakro. When Frank Jensen is appointed Minister of Justice in 1996, his predecessor Bjorn West saddles him with a big stack of pardon petitions, including one from Pala. But it's not until 1998 that Frank Jensen decides to actually grant him a pardon. And so, at the age of 71, after 32 years and 8 months behind bars, Pala is finally released. During an interview many years later, Haller is asked whether he hates the police. After all, he shot four officers, and he was the son of a police worker himself. Haller responds by saying that he doesn't feel hatred. He panicked. His crimes weren't driven by rage, but by the prospect of making a quick buck. Haller spends his later years in the Copenhagen neighborhood of Wolbu, where he can often be found behind his lathe. He earns a bit of extra cash by selling goods just before their expiry dates. He buys the items cheaply at a wholesaler and then sells them on. He has 19 years as a free man before he dies of old age in 2018. From Podimo, this is Murder in the North. A new episode every week wherever you get podcasts. And for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts. <laughs>